0: 2024, an election year like no other. From the candidates to the issues, from voter integrity and analysis, we'll discuss debates, trends, patterns, election laws, and more. This is Vote 2024, Path to the Polls. There is a lot of discontent among young voters in the race to the White House, and that perhaps is an understatement. Here is the bottom line. They do not want a Biden-Trump rematch. Ask them why, and they're pretty candid. They don't like Biden's handling of the economy. They don't like Biden's support of Israel's military campaign in Gaza, and they think he's too old. Why don't they like Donald Trump? They think he's too extreme, divisive. Young people are against the Republican agenda, pushing abortion bans and book bans. They don't feel like they're being heard. It is that simple. So what's their alternative? Some would consider third-party candidates. Many are just going to sit out the election altogether. I'm Bruce Hamilton. Welcome to Vote 2024, Path to the Polls. Joining me, Daniel Conrath, a professor of political science at FSCJ. Also, two political science students here in Jacksonville who have their take on their run for the White House, Leah Farrell and Grace Taylor. Welcome to all three of you. Appreciate you being here. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks for having us. us. Yeah, no, you're an old handed this.
1: Yeah, yeah. You
0: you two aren't nervous, are you? No. So I I told them that, you know, there's no worries. It's easier than taking one of his midterms or a final. And there's only about a quarter of a million people watching, so there's nothing to worry about. Just the three of us sitting here. So this show is about young voters and their take. So I'm going to ignore you for a second. Get right to (laughs) to Leah and Grace. Let me start, Leah, with you. Are you satisfied with the two top runners?
1: Absolutely not. I would just say, um, for me, I just think that It's kind of hard to, uh, I guess, care about both candidates or feel passionate about their campaigns, but just in the sense that I don't really feel um, accurately represented or also I don't feel that either one of the um, Republican or Democratic establishments is really representing my voice. So that's what I would say.
0: Okay, let me take that one step further. Yes. People would look to you, Mm -hmm. young black woman, Mm -hmm. they would make an assumption about for whom you would vote, wouldn't they?
1: Yes, but they would make assumptions about a lot of things. Uh, I've lived in four different countries, traveled to over 20. I come from a military family, and uh, I would identify as an independent. So when people assume or make assumptions like that, I would say, well, it really depends on the issue. But you can't just look at me and assume that I'm going to vote left or right on all of the issues. you
0: so. know, and, and I can identify that because people will look at me and they're going to say, oh, you're a member of the liberal media, so you're going to vote one way. And, and they're wrong because I vote on the issues as, as well. Yeah. And, and you know what? Among them are my kids who say that I'm going to vote one way. We get, we get into these arguments all the time. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to pursue that a little bit more with you. So how about you, Grace?
2: I'm not too happy with the two major candidates at the moment because um, seeing how they were in office previously, it's a little nerve-wracking to have that be our main two i don't know if i really think they got enough done in their time and then also i do think some stereotypes might be put on me people might think i vote one way but i think it does depend on the issue
0: how how do people think you would vote
2: probably a little more left because of just who i am and i do come from a military family as well so i was you know raised one way but my opinions are different
0: Mm -hmm. what are your biggest problems with the candidates
2: um As you said, a big part of it is the age. I would like to be a little more represented by who is in office. I think um, another thing is respect. I think it would be better if we had people who are just more respectful to each other and a little, and listen better to their people as well.
0: Daniel, you you teach students. Sure. What do you hear from the students in your classrooms? Are your biggest problems with both uh, President Biden and Donald Trump who also sat in the White House?
3: Yeah, I think it, it goes, first of all, because I don't want any of us to get the opinion that we're just being ageist. I think it really has to do with who the individual politician is and the fact that our leadership isn't just old, but a lot of them appear to be in a state of decline, of cognitive decline. Certainly there, there are individuals out there in our audience who are in their 80s, 90s, living robust lives and, and, and they're thriving. There are individuals who are in their 50s and 60s who are no longer thriving in terms of their ability to perform a particular role or to be in office. Relative to your question about what students, I feel a lot of them really, really feel disconnected because the millennials who are already here, of course, their generation, a lot of them feel disaffected because we still have people who are septuagenarians and octogenarians who will not get out of the way of our politics. You'll hear individuals on both sides, Mitch McConnell, Nancy Pelosi they'll say things like, well, we really need to engage future generations in this country, and yet they're not willing to abdicate any of their power to allow that to begin to happen. Uh, sometimes I feel like my students will blame my generation, Gen, Gen X, for what's <laughs> going on, but I remind them I haven't been in, put in power. My generation has yet to fully been put in power over the decision-making because we still have a generation just hanging out there. As I tell all my students, it's interesting towards the end of his life, uh thomas jefferson wrote that he felt the constitution should be ripped up every 19 years and that we should start over with a new constitution because it would be unfair to make the next generation live under the rules of what was created in this generation and yet here we sit you know almost what 250 years later into this new republic and we've only amended the thing 27 times and we still have the original constitution so outside of that I I actually, I will say this not just because of the two uh, young women who I know who I asked to join us here today. Uh, I have a lot of aspiration and a lot of hope for this generation. I think a lot of your audience might be out there uh, saying, you know, that constant, you know, that classic trope, Bruce. All these kids today, look, you know, I'm actually buoyed. I I think that there's a lot of optimism in this generation to take that step forward to become maybe the next greatest generation or, or, you know, the generation which actually does effect change into our society that we need.
0: So you go back to the, the, the greatest generation, which was the World War II generation that created change. I, I, I got this email from, from David. He said, Bruce, this election is a, a, about a lot more than two old men. It's about progressive versus um, regressive values. It's about capturing the possibilities of the future rather than nostalgia for the inequalities and injustices of the past. So uh, I, I think that's somewhat of what you're talking about. So, so, Leah, you think that he's right on target with what he's talking about?
1: I think so and not to sound tripe but it's kind of like um what biden's slogan was but say, like running to save the soul of america and i think right now it's just we have outside of the identity politics issue we just have a problem with our american identity because i feel like with the political polarization and just all of that it's like are we going to push for uh, more compromise and sort of a reunification of our identity as a nation and want to actually see more similarities and allow those things to drive us towards like a healing of our country. Or are we going to allow this division uh, to just keep dividing us essentially and just like uh, keep us kind of in this loop of like not being able to actually see what's important. Because at least in my personal life, I have a lot of friendships with people that on paper, I should not be friends with them. Like I have a friend that here in Jacksonville is from Montcrieff and he's white and I'm being told by the media or whatever that like, his experience is one way and that we would not be able to identify uh, together. But like, that's one of the best friendships that I have in my life. So I just think uh, that being said, we really need to push more for unification, seeing people for what they actually are and what they have to offer, versus just making assumptions like Grace says, oh, you're black, you're gay, you're this and that, and therefore you, you will be voting this way, and this is the person to represent you.
0: This may surprise so, you, but I'm going to tell you, I think mm-hmm. that the media and social media are partly to blame for this nation's problems. Mm-hmm. Grace, same question to you mm-hmm. in response to this viewer email that I got.
2: I think we're all like a little too focused on the competition and winning like one side or the other. And we should just be focused on making this country a better place to live. And I think that's a lot of that.
0: Mm-hmm. So Liam, let me go back to something you, you mentioned when you when you first uh, started our discussion. You said you've lived in four different countries. Yes. With that experience, mm-hmm. do you find that we've become too dogmatic here in America?
1: I think so, but maybe not in a traditional sense, I just think that we... Human beings like predictability, and so with that being said, our one of our biggest strengths is being able to identify an issue, put a name to it, and then just be able to refer to that name in the future, right? So then it's like when we when we look at issues like homelessness or poverty or gay rights or things like that, we will identify something, but we are so rigid in our view of that that we don't allow... Events or uh, just individual experiences to dictate our view and become more dynamic It's just that we have a narrative we will go with it and we won't allow anyone to uh, open our minds to different possibilities So that's kind of my view of what the American like dogmatism is right now And
0: Daniel, it's was part of the problem with the Congress that we've got right now that we don't get anything done. Yep. Yeah Yeah, I, I gotta say
3: the one thing that I would remind you, know, all of the viewers of this program and people who are over the age of this generation, uh, they have never been politically aware in a time that was not hyperpartisan. We, a lot of us, you and I, Bruce, can remember back to a time when Republicans and Democrats could come together and they could they could sculpt le- legislation that may not be perfect. Uh, but however, it was in, in fact bipartisan. Everybody got a little something that they want. A lot of people didn't get what they wanted, but however, that was how we moved public policy forward. Their generation has never known anything which is not, you know, the other side is not Satan, and we can therefore not support Satan. Right, there was give but, and take. Right. <laughs> and and, they're, and they're, none of that exists today. That's, that's, that's not with us today. So in terms of, of apathy, a lot of, the, a lot of people will say, well, this generation's apathetic. They don't want to participate. Well, they're digesting all of this as they're, as they're maturing, and they're coming into the age where they can continue to vote. And, and a lot of them are generally asking the question, if we are this divided, how does my vote really impact? Are are people going to hear my voice? Is it worth me taking the precious time in my life to expend political capital and my own
0: effort to really try to be an agent for change Mm -hmm. if in fact they can't change it? Right. And, and Grace, you know, that said, do you have friends who are saying, you know what, I'm not even going go to go to the polls in the primary, let alone November, because I just don't think my vote's going to matter.
2: I have friends of multiple different ages that feel that way. But, yeah, I definitely <laughs> I do have a lot of people in my life that are like that. And I try to, like, urge them to go anyways and, like, make your voice be heard, even though sometimes it feels kind of like mm. you have no chance. But it mm. is something I really push just mm. kind of.
3: Yeah, let me add something now to a follow up. Because Florida is a state in which we use ballot initiatives, uh, you could be somebody out there on the fence about whether or not you want to participate in voting and whether or not you like President Trump or you like President Biden and you might be dissatisfied. But we have the opportunity this fall in these fall elections to vote on things like whether or not a woman should be able to have bodily autonomy, uh, whether or not uh, uh, we want to have legalized recreational marijuana. So we get the opportunity in Florida that many other states don't. And that we don't at the federal level to have the ability where if 60% of us want to vote one way on an issue, like increasing our state minimum wage, like giving felons their voting rights restored. So this isn't just a matter of getting out there to express a vote for President Biden or for President Trump. It's also about taking control of
0: the state that you want to live in and being able to exercise a unique form of direct democracy. You know, there's a reality here that beyond what's going to happen in the run to the White House, there are some down-ballot elections that are happening Mm -hmm. in in other states that may very well come down to control of what happens on Capitol Hill Mm -hmm. that could control those very issues that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And that's why every vote really does matter, Leah. Mm -hmm. It does. It does. So let me ask you this. Um, If you could sit down with either of the candidates, and I'll let you choose which one, what would you say to them?
1: I would say...
0: Tell me which candidate first and what you would say. Okay,
1: so I'll start with Biden. I would say that I wish that people would relinquish power when they know that they're not going to be able to serve as well as they might have served in their youth and everything. I would say also that I really hate the fact that someone would look at me and just totally dismiss any sort of personal history because they're power-hungry. And so it's like... I'm, like I said um, before we started the interview, but I'm an AmeriCorps member serving uh, through the Literacy Alliance of Northeast Florida. These aren't their views. This is my personal opinion. But there's this major disconnect of, like, what's going on on the ground? Like, when you go downtown and you actually talk to homeless people, when you're actually, like, working with impoverished communities and what's happening in Washington, it's, like, it's not just about money. It's not just about, you know, for example, making sure that you get everything that you want. It's about how can we actually make the lives of like working class Americans easier? How can we lighten the load for people that want to contribute and like all of those sorts of things. And I'm just not feeling that, um, on the democratic side that those people are actually like doing what they promised because it's like if generation of generation of generation. And especially me being a black woman, um, If I don't feel that things have ever gotten better while we've been supporting you guys, I just don't understand why you would assume that I'm dumb enough to keep voting for you. Mm. And then for Trump, it's like, well, you are just kind of like a Nixon Southern strategy 2.0. But in the sense, like, people have kind of forgotten their history and understood that, again, things for poor white Americans have not gotten better historically. So you're just capitalizing on their fear and their insecurity and existential insecurity to convince them to support you. And I just think that that's very harmful because at the end of the day, it's going to be both me and some old white, I don't know, Vietnam veteran who are pinching our pennies to go to Walmart and trying to just make sure we have food on the table. And Trump and Biden don't have to worry about that. So.
2: I think at the end of the day, I am going to kind of agree with her Mm -hmm. this, like, um, we need to, like, ask them, what are you actively doing to make this country better? I think instead of focusing in your, like, first camp, like, in your first run, don't focus on trying to get reelected, but focus on actually making a change. And I don't think either of them have really done that. Mm -hmm. I think it's more like, let's get me back in office so I can do this. It's a bunch of, like, false promises to me, Mm -hmm. it feels like, I don't know.
0: So, Daniel, when you talk to your students, do you feel like they don't really have a choice? Or I know that there had been some things in the news where I believe it was Nikki Haley said, or or maybe it was Kamala Harris. I'm sorry, because I I don't remember right now that come, you know, sometime next year, we may have a woman in the White House. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I missed the question. So the the question is, do you think it may not be Trump or Biden? It may be either Nikki Haley or Kamala Harris. Well, let me break out my magic ball here, Bruce, and I'll put. I, I, no, it's. Uh, I,
3: I think it's a different cult question. I mean, I think that if Trump or Biden can make it there in one piece, and when I mean by one piece, I mean that they are physically and mentally healthy on the one side, perhaps not in a jail cell on the other side. Uh, I think it would be highly unlikely right now that Nikki Haley is going to be able to come up with any kind of path that I I can't see it. I mean, perhaps if Joe Biden were running and after the election he were to pass away and Kamala Harris were to be sworn into office as his vice president on that ticket, that might be a way for that to happen. The fact of the matter is, it's just right now in the United States, unless there were to be some sort of miraculous introduction into the race by, say, a Michelle Obama, mm-hmm. okay, or somebody who was like polling, still pop, relatively popular in both sides and with independence like the former first lady does, I can't see a scenario in which there's and maybe you guys could correct me as soon as I don't see another scenario or another female politician in the United States right now who I think would be positioned to be president of the United States in this election cycle. In and, this and, election know, cycle. And,
0: and we know that third party candidates never fare well, no. even no. though, you know, there's a third party out there that thinks it has a chance. They don't do well in elections. And that's why Joe Manchin basically said, I'm not going to run.
3: Right. But there is a wild card factor there. I will say that the the, the candidacy of Robert Kennedy Jr. bears witness. Mm -hmm. I'm watching. Because in a divided electoral college where you guys, we know that we only have really seven, eight, or nine swing states. What could the impact of 5% of the vote, 6% of the vote in a swing state to Robert Kennedy, what does that mean for the campaigns of Joe Biden? There are going to be Democrats out there, and I've seen many interviews with African-American Democrats who remember John F. Kennedy Mm -hmm. and Bobby Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy Jr.'s dad, and they're willing to give Bobby Kennedy Jr. the vote because of a lot of the things that Leah has talked about. A lot of rhetoric from the Democratic Party over the last several decades, a lot of promises on how we're going to benefit you materially, how we're going to level the playing field, how we're going to combat about an issue that I hear a lot, income inequality, mm-hmm. mounting student loan debts, um, a lot of those things. And if you feel failed by Joe Biden, there's going to be a sliver of the population out there that's going to say, you know what, I recognize that Kennedy name, I trusted that Kennedy name, I don't necessarily care anymore about his views on maybe a vaccine or something else, which oh, is an absolutely. outlier.
0: Let me talk yeah. about Robert F. Kennedy. He's, 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 he's not John F. Kennedy. No. He's, he's not, you know, Robert Kennedy. Uh, let's talk about the black vote. Yeah. Um, it helped <laughs> lift President Biden and, and Vice President Kamala Harris to the White House three years ago. And the question is will they show up in the same strength that they did uh, back in those days? Uh, South Carolina may give us some indication and they will be crucial to this vote. But if you look at the polls, Biden is underperforming among black voters.
1: Can I say one thing? Yeah, no, please. Mr. Bruce, can you define what the black vote is? So the black
0: vote is what it is.
1: Yes, but it's like that's a problem that I have as well, because like the black vote is not a monolith, just like the Hispanic vote is not a monolith. Like you have people like uh, Ted Cruz is technically Hispanic.
3: The women's vote. We is see not how a he's list. voting,
1: and like yeah. that's not condemnation necessarily, but it's like there is so much um, diversity within different uh, communities, and so for me, it's like I have family members that are avid Trump supporters in Alabama, and it's like I am not a Trump supporter personally, but I know a lot of black people who did go out and vote for Trump, so it's like. Two, I feel it's uh, one of those things that uh, both sides engage in this. So whether it's Joe Biden going on the breakfast club saying, if you don't vote for me, you're not black. Or Hillary Clinton being like, I remember Beyonce came out with the whole hot sauce in her bag thing. And she's like, oh, uh, I carry hot sauce in my purse. It's like, you can't just like pander to us. No, because I, you're, all of those assumptions that you're making, too, it's like it's very dismissive of our I, I, personal and identity. I, and
0: I certainly don't mean to be dismissive or oh, disrespectful. Oh, no, you're not,
1: you're not being... That
0: and I, I, I have, to, have that. to say, what I mean to be historically what has been the black vote that, you know, votes a traditional way, or the Latino vote, which, you know, the Democrats have believed was theirs to lose, yeah. or or the Asian-American vote, which emerged as a coveted voting block this oh, year, yeah. and, yeah, and both, an you know... Yeah.
3: Can I just like decipher yeah, a little bit? I, I think what what Bruce is talking about is not necessarily like earning the vote, but if you are a political campaign mm-hmm. and, and you are a generic ballot Democrat, mm-hmm. you are looking to get reelected with X percent of the vote from this community. Yep. And that's been the historical. Now, is that right? Is that fair? Is it easy to predict? Mm-hmm. Of course not. I mean, I, I think about the liberal democratic friends that you may have now that when they see polling
2: mm-hmm. and
3: going into this year's election, of the African-American men are looking to vote for Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. That's a losing coalition for the Democratic candidate. And I I think the question would be, why might that be
0: happening? You know, it's almost like saying, you know, a certain state voted a certain
3: way.
1: Yeah, and I understand understand what that question is. My thing is, I think that um, the Democratic Party, in my personal opinion, has become very complacent. I also think as someone who is out involved in my community, solving a lot of issues that traditionally Democrats have worked to address, I'm seeing a major disconnect between the people on Capitol Hill and what I'm experiencing in my personal life. And just things like, for example, the narrative's been, as a black woman living in the South, I should not feel comfortable here. And I feel more comfortable living in the South America, like the South in America than I do in the North.
0: And I've got to tell you, I don't feel comfortable living here.
1: here (laughs) Yeah, and here's the thing, though, that I would just say is that um, I think that they're in for a surprise because unlike previous generations, we don't just have a few different television channels, and Grace can speak to this too, um, that are dictating our uh, understanding of what's going on in the world. Because Nancy Pelosi can say, this is how it is, and I'll look at her record, I can see her taxes, I can see everything, and multiple sources like we spoke Mm -hmm. about earlier and say, you don't have my best interest at heart, because also or you do should don't...
0: anybody dictate what our best interests no, are? No. No, they
1: should not. And on top of it, it's like you're assuming you know what my best interest is, and you know nothing about me. So that's what B- I have bingo. to say. Bingo. Yeah. yeah. Can
3: I build on this a little bit before uh, give Grace's comments? I think yeah. another thing that a lot of people have observed <laughs> is, Bruce, looking back to the election of the squad, mm-hmm. Jayapal, AOC, coming in, starting a ruckus, doing a lot of these things that they campaigned on, mm-hmm. a lot on issues important to, to a lot of this generation. Uh, income inequality, climate, the affordability of health care, and student loans, okay now, when you look at votes which are contentious in the House of Representatives and Democrats may not want to hear this or maybe they're happy with this, uh, there is no ruckus. The squad has completely fallen in line with the with the wishes of democratic party leadership, and not to put words in your mouth, but I think it's noticed in a lot of the people who supported these candidates
2: It definitely is noticed. Um, I think the big thing is though it's i'm again like. <laughs> we're asking for these things and they're not being shown. And that just keeps happening. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, well, where do you want us to put our vote? Where do you want us to do this? Because you can make all these promises, but at the end of the day...
0: It's because they're not listening.
2: It's, yes, they're not listening. That's the main
0: thing. Mm-hmm. And, and you know what? I, I think there's a general problem in society, too. They're not listening. People don't know how to listen. And you may find it in your social circles, too. Mm-hmm. People and, and I, I find this as a journalist, and I, I find this in general discussions. People hear what they think they're going to hear, mm. you know, <laughs> and, and it's because they're not open-minded. People they're not open to discussion.
2: People will come into conversations with me about politics and immediately think I'm gonna say one thing and they don't even, they just block out whatever it is I'm gonna say.
0: Can you I'm have really... a civil discussion with somebody or?
2: Honestly? if people are willing to listen yes but otherwise no a lot of the time it's nearly impossible to have a civil discussion about politics with people because Mm -hmm. everybody just assumes they assume and then they also aren't willing to change their mind or like Mm -hmm. listen to other perspectives not
0: even change their mind just just stay open minded agree to disagree (laughs) right can i ask you you guys a question how in, in
3: relative to how you consume politics and media how would you would do you prefer an environment like this a long interview or say a podcast in which you can fully flesh out issues and opinions versus a lot of times what we see on traditional media bruce which is like if you can't communicate your entire thought in 60 seconds then you're not welcome to communicate that thought i think programs like this offer a lot of that value and i'm glad you're doing it because we can sit here and we do have time to like vet out a further opinion Mm -hmm. me myself i've i've you know personally i i'm in the podcast world Mm -hmm. now I don't want to hear somebody be cut off because of a time constraint or not having the ability to articulate a nuanced view. Mm-hmm. The other thing I would say, too, to introduce this conversation, and I'll be quiet about this um, a lot of times I think in society we are expected to view all policies or all positions in binary code one or a zero, yes or no. Mm-hmm. Most of us form opinions on a grayscale. They're not that discreet, and they're not just so easy, as Leah was saying, and as Grace was saying. Oh, we're going to put you in a box based upon this this metric that we've designed, which has one zero, one zero, one zero. Therefore, that's how you must vote. Mm-hmm. No one moves about their lives in that in that oh. kind in that kind of you know complete you know duopoly of thought that this is you either have one or the other, and then that's it. I, I totally agree.
2: Grace, do you have any thoughts about that? I think it's again it's that thing we were talking about it before the stream <laughs> where we um need to vote more on like individual things than giving your all to one party or giving your all to one candidate it's you we shouldn't like glorify a politician and then just listen to everything that they say we need to have our own opinions and form them for ourselves i Even would doesn't agree with one party Go that's ahead. very true i think um i do prefer
1: long-form content more but just in the sense that i remember thinking uh it, well i guess slogans for example people want sound bites they want things that are quick and that you know can uh capture attention but the thing is it's like okay well once you've got my attention what are you going to actually do to sustain it but in the sense that like I think too it's a red flag to me especially with policymakers that tend to use those quick little taglines or be dismissive of different groups or just whatever it's like can Trump actually sit down and have a 30-minute discussion where, like, you feel like you get to know him and, like, his policy and his perspective more without just, like, constant interruption or insult or something like that. And I feel like it's a red flag. And even besides Trump, it's a red flag that a lot of our policymakers are not willing or interested or capable even, whether it's because of their age or their um, wanting to mask certain intentions and everything, that they're not willing to, like, sit down and actually have their constituents ask them, why are you here? Like, what are you doing? What, are, what is your actual intention? And how are you holding yourself accountable when you wake up in the morning and you're you're uh, claiming that you're representing me and I'm not seeing the results like Grace and I are saying? Mm-hmm. Or, or
0: turning it into something about themselves. It's like yeah. uh, Trump, he, he for the longest time was quiet mm-hmm. about um, uh, Alexei Navalny's, uh, mm-hmm. Navalny's death. And, and then all of a sudden he says, oh, I can identify with that because look at me in the legal system. It's like... Mm-hmm. Not everything's about you. Oh, right, right. It's it's the same thing with the electorate. You know, when when you're sitting down with a political candidate and you talk to that political candidate, regardless of who they are, and you say, look, you know what? Uh, When when we discuss the economy, you know, it's not necessarily about the Fed and rates. It's about what I'm paying at the checkout counter, at the grocery store. And maybe that's where the disconnect is with Joe Biden. He goes, hey, look, you know, the economy is doing great. I'm feeling the pain when i i pull out my wallet at the checkout i i don't feel it there and and that's where they don't get it and that's mm-hmm. where they're not listening to the people who cast the votes mm-hmm.
1: i think another thing i want to say is i have other aspects of my identity i kind of don't like that word anymore but i have um, other aspects of my identity that too even just in terms of family just talking so for example my mom came out to gay as uh came out to me as gay when i was 18. I uh, started going to church within the past year or so, and I'm like uh, working to become ca- Catholic. All I said to her was, Mom, I started going to church and I'm becoming Catholic. And that was like a big blow up conversation. And not just because of the religion issue, but it's just because she assumed automatically that me going to church meant that I was diving headfirst into all of this conservative propaganda, yada, yada, yada. Everything's in a box. Yeah, everything mm-hmm. is in a box. And I said, no it's just my personal faith if you're agnostic i mean like anything that's your view and i guess in that sense i am classically liberal to some in some regard but it's like even all of this division is dividing family and it's like if you can't at the end of the day come home and talk to your family members like people who know you and grew up with you and um people are getting split apart because of that this is like and that's the foundation of our country is, like, good families, regardless of if it's two moms and two dads or whatever your, your situation is. So for it to trickle down to the point where we're getting split up at home, I think it's a very uh, serious and grave issue. And I think that we need to start supporting politicians that want to unify people. I think instead.
2: we've become mm-hmm. too focused on picking sides instead yeah. of actually taking care of each other. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and you know
0: what, sometimes it is as simple... As talking to family I'll, I'll tell you a story I went into one neighborhood that mm-hmm. had problems mm-hmm. and the problems were that the kids were running amok mm-hmm. and I was I was sitting in a, a neighborhood barbershop and it's a barbershop where these guys happened to be a bunch of senior citizens mm-hmm. gathered every day and they sat and they talked and uh, I was walking in and doing a story about the neighborhood and its problems and uh, Let's just say that I didn't fit into the demographic. And he said, oh, they sent you to do this story. What do you know? And I said, do you want to tell me? Do you, do you really want to listen? And they said, okay, we'll listen to you.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You, know, you can make of this whatever you want. I said, your problem is pretty simple. I said, your families don't sit down every night and talk about what you do every day. When I was a kid, my parents had... One rule, two rules. Did you do your homework without me asking? And number two, we're all going to sit down to dinner. You come in from when you were playing. I grew up on the streets of Philadelphia Mm -hmm. in the inner city. We're all going to sit down. We're going to talk about our day and find out what we're all about and what we did. You're required to be there. You know, at the time, I didn't think much of it. But now, as the father of four boys, I understood what it was all about. My parents knew what I was doing. They weren't micromanaging my life. But they understood my life. Mm -hmm. They knew what was going on. And I think that's why we were a successful family. And that's why there are so many problems in the world today. Families don't communicate. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: It's that simple. And I think that's, you know, your point. If families talk, there'll be a a lot less problems in the world.
2: Mm. I think people have to be willing to listen, though, when you are communicating, or else it's just gonna be like talking to a wall.
0: Bruce back
3: to what you said. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, and we live in a society in a country which is not unique to the United States, but fairly unique to the United States. That the two things we're talk growing up that we're not allowed to talk about with family or friends are politics and religion, okay? Well, politics is what's happening when we're alive. Religion is what happens when we're dead. Mm -hmm. But if the four of us wanted to sit down and talk about the Jaguars' offensive line rebuild, that would be a completely fine, socially acceptable conversation that doesn't benefit our lives at all, ultimately, at the end of the day. So our political discourse in the United States and our appetite for it I agree with you, but it's really been limited, like, in terms of our ability to talk and have... In fact, I mean, people like yourselves who have families, you're actively discouraged from talking to family members about Mm -hmm. politics and religion. It's completely, like, kind of the opposite, you know, of what you're talking about, talking, you know.
1: I think, too, on top of it, like I said, um, and I'm not bragging when I say this, but, like, having grown up in four different countries, that's America, Kenya, Zambia, and Ghana, you go and you see everyone wants the same thing. They want opportunities for their kids. They wanna know that they'll be able to put food on the table. They wanna know that their neighborhoods are safe, that there's hope. And it's like, there's this sort of, um, even with Jacksonville for parts that are bad, it's like, there's this bleakness when you're driving through these disenfranchised neighborhoods. And when you talk to people in the street, there's this just like, they're kind of at a loss. Like I wanted to have a good life for my, my children and I'm working every day and all of this stuff, and um, I'm just not able to provide for my families. But I think when you have that internalized and also you have such a major lack of a support system, like loneliness epidemic for Gen Z, Alpha, and Millennials, mm-hmm. people are not getting married as much, and just all of these different things, and then you don't have that family support as well. People like Trump, in my opinion, will capitalize on that rage that you might feel the feelings of bitterness and resentment that you might mm-hmm, feel mm-hmm. and use that to power their campaigns. But then also with uh, Trump and, uh, or with Biden and the Democrats, it's like, oh, you feel that you're, you've been overlooked. You feel that you're not represented. You feel that you're disenfranchised. Well, we're going to help you. And it's it's cruel to me that people would like say that and make those claims, just like Grace and I are saying, and then not follow through. So it kind of feels like almost like um what does it actually mean if i vote on at least on a national stage and it it makes me think that really where my vote counts more is like on a local level Mm -hmm. like just with people policymakers in jacksonville who are going to dictate things like um i don't know just different economic things within the city and different ordinances the construction of the stadium for the construction of the stadium like for example if we have this homelessness issue do we really need a new stadium or whatever these initiatives are that are going to impact my day-to-day because Trump and Biden are so far off hanging out with each other or whatever they're doing that like they're not in touch with our boots-on-the-ground like needs here. That's just my opinion. Okay. Grace?
2: I completely agree with her. I think it is... Yeah, I'm going to keep on saying that because Leah's just making great points. Thank you. Um, I think you it's <laughs> more important to kind of focus on our local authorities as well just because um, it feels like they try to cater towards these audiences like they're we're here to support the working man or we're here to support this and this. But the people that are actually getting stuff done are the people that are in Jacksonville, the people that we live around our local communities. And that's what like a lot of my focus has been on lately instead of Trump or Biden, because I feel like I'm actually going to be more heard on that level. Mm-hmm.
0: So what are you doing as a result?
2: I'm voting. <laughs>
1: I've, so
0: you will vote. This, I will vote. This cycle. I will vote. Leah?
2: I think
1: uh, I'm going to vote this cycle uh, almost reluctantly but I think definitely my passionate votes are going to be for my local community leadership and I think my ironically I'll view the national uh, election as less important and just I would want to vote for someone that would actually allow for more support of whoever I decide to vote for uh, locally but I'm not passionate about either one of them.
0: And and unfortunately, I I want you two to come Mm -hmm. back because I appreciate your passion. I appreciate your Mm -hmm. Mm open-mindedness. I appreciate your fire. Um, but I do have a final question for each of you because unfortunately I I am up against the clock though. I think we could probably go on for another hour. Mm -hmm. Daniel, let me ask you about your students. Do you get the sense that despite what's going on, despite the divisiveness, despite the rhetoric in both camps Mm -hmm. that they have hope for the future?
3: I, I think there's hope, Bruce. Uh, I don't want to, you know, it's difficult for me to say because, you know, the majority of students, I see students who are really, really checked out, and by the way, this is reflective of the general population, not just people mm-hmm. you guys' age or in a college classroom, who are really checked out. They don't feel like they can make a difference. Uh, you know, they feel as if, you know, I, just get, think about this fact, you know, if you want to level, engage this disinterest The last year, or in 2003, when we elected the new mayor of Jacksonville and the people who went to the polls chose Donna Deegan over Daniel Davis, selecting the Democratic Party over the Republican Party. And a critical election in which we're going to be literally voting on whether or not to put almost, what, $750 million locally up for a Jaguar rebuild. A third of our population chose to come out and vote for that. That's completely unacceptable. And when you look at the demographics of that vote, it was almost something I think, and I don't want to speak out of turn, like one in five in these, this age group actually came out to vote for a critical decision like that. So I, I think it can be grown. I think that there can, there can be something that happens. Uh, but I almost think at this point there is going to have to be some sort of pivotal event. There's going to be something that has to, uh, you know, whether it's events that we've seen with the Civil Rights Movement or events that we've seen throughout American history, whether it's a a Rosa Parks-style event, there's going to have to be something that wakes up the United States, I think, in a way which is going to... Uh, for me, it would be something like a, an Occupy 2.0, but a more successful version of that kind of event rather than one that we had to, you know, 10 or 11 years ago in the country. Something evolutionary, but not revolutionary. Something evolutionary, not revolutionary, I think. Because the one thing I will say across the, the political spectrum... I find a lot of conservative students who have totally different political views and a lot of lefty students who have different political views, but in terms of their dissatisfaction with leadership in the two-party system, that's the one place, and distrust in the news media, that is one someplace that they could sit around and talk for hours about and have a shared opinion because regardless of where they're at ideologically, they they feel the same frustration. Okay.
0: And and let me just say that as a member of the news media, there are those of us who sit back and work hard to earn your trust and make sure that every day whatever we do has value and is grounded in the information and that the information that we deliver to you is grounded in truth and in fact and in, in research. There are those of us who believe in the ethic that journalism is all about. And then I'm going to get off my soapbox on that. Looking to the future, Leah. Do you have hope despite what's going on right now, despite what may happen in the immediate future?
1: I would say I have a lot of hope. I would say um, my parents have me when they're older, but they're Gen X. I think your generation is awesome. I would say that the boomers, I have a lot of boomers in my family, and I really love them and I care about them. And um, we do have conversations, and I do appreciate that. Um, I don't know this sounds random, but do you guys remember in two thousand twelve where everyone thought the world was gonna end? Yes. Mm-hmm. It didn't end. And I'm like, every generation has had something that where they like BS. Yeah, but <laughs> everyone has something in their generation where it's like some issue, like whether it's World mm. War Two or Y2K. it's Y two K, whatever it is. A and lot of
3: survival meals are Yeah, saved.
1: and it's always been dooming gloom to some extent, but life goes on and I think that we swing. The pendulum always swings and it re uh, it finds a balance again and so my thing is I think there's going to be a point where people are like hey I'm really lonely this is not sustainable I'm I'm feeling worn out by all of this like hate hate hateful and like vitriolic rhetoric on this side and I'm feeling uh very dispassionate and just kind of uh resentful and disappointed about the Democrats on the other side and everything and I don't care what they have to say I care what my neighbors have to say I care what my friends have to say I care what my loved ones have to say and I think that there is going to be a shift over time where people are going to kind of uh, realign themselves with what actually is important and what matters, and that's going to push our policymakers to respect that because what those people in Washington right now want is just votes. They want to stay in power, and if our generations and X and the millennials actually wake up and realize that we're more similar than we are different and say, we're not going to vote for you guys until you give us what we want. Not what you guys want, but like what we want, I think that's when things are gonna change. It's very
2: optimistic, mm. but I, I do think
1: that there is some hope.
0: There's nothing wrong with being optimistic. Thank Great. you.
2: <laughs> I think because of our distrust and our like, disappointment in the media and our policymakers that we are going to make a change eventually. Hopefully soon rather than later, but I do think something is gonna happen where we're all just, I think it's gonna lead us to the polls instead of straying us away from them, so.
0: I'll leave you with this, have faith in yourself have confidence in yourself. Lead the way. Read. Make your own decisions. Come to your own conclusions. Family first. Love. This program can be watched on demand on NewsForJacks.com, NewsForJacks Plus, and the NewsForJacks channel. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate your optimism. Daniel, I always appreciate your insights. Thanks, Bruce. And thank you for watching. See why every day more people are choosing News 4 Jacks. Northeast Florida and
3: South Georgia's number one source for local news.